Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, we have Eddie Caparucci, author of Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction, The Road to Recovery Goes Through Your Childhood. Amen to that. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Thank you, Drew. It's great to be here with you, and I'm really looking forward to this interview. been looking forward to it for a while. So, Awesome. And a lot of times at Husband Material, I like to say porn is a pacifier. And you, in this book, have done such a masterful job of helping us understand how and why that's the case. And I'm looking at this picture behind you, um, which is the cover of the book with yes. two people. Yes, Could you tell is. me more about that picture? Well, that picture actually came from, it's a sculpture. That's what it really is. It was uh, a 2015 Burning Man uh, done by an artist, uh, a European artist. And um, it just it just fit perfectly with the whole concept of our the child trapped within us that we need to help to be able to nurture and to feed and most importantly to help make him help him make make him feel safe mm-hmm. you know just like you know we turn to Christ for comfort during those times when we're hurting here this child needs to turn to us because when he was growing up, when he was younger, there was really no one to turn to. Parents may have been there, caregivers may have been there, but they didn't do what they needed to do during those early childhood developmental years when we're looking to learn how to, how do we attune? How do we have self-regulation? How do we uh, help set awareness? Somewhere along the line, we're missing some of those uh, very critical factors that we need in order to become very healthy, emotionally developed people. And without that, we struggle. We start to become inward. We're very inwardly focused. You know, we become very selfish uh, people. I know I've, I've listened to some of your previous, you know, uh, webinars. You talk about the selfishness and also the immaturity that we have. And that immaturity was based on the fact that, you know what, we didn't have somebody who taught us the skill set we needed to be able to grow up. So therefore, now we're like 15-year-olds in adult bodies. Absolutely. And that looks so different for each of us. I mean, it's such a powerful paradigm shift, first of all, when we can understand that. And there needs to be nuance. There needs to be a delicate approach to this. I've been frustrated by some of the porn recovery movement kind of slapping on a standardized sexual accountability solution that doesn't really take into account the unique shape of each of our childhoods. So in Going Deeper, you talk about the nine different categories of some of the inner children which are within us. Could you say more about that? Yeah, what um, it's interesting, you know, been doing this for about 10 years now, and it all started to come to life and shape for me when I started to identify what were the reasons, the rationale for why men abuse sex. And that's where that's where this all came from. And then I was like, okay, well, I've, I've identified nine now. These are the nine reasons why men are are using sex as you know, as you said that pacifier to kind of quiet themselves. But then I was like, oh, you know what? Wouldn't it be great because all the shame that we feel that makes it so much more difficult to do that recovery work? What if we were to externalize that shame? And that's when the inner child aspect came into play here, that I externalize the addiction. The addiction is now based with the child. Mm. And what happens is now men can look outward and say, oh, I can do something about that. Mm. 
I, yeah. I can help. I can help it make him feel better. Yeah. And and what it also does, it gives them an opportunity to learn how to nurture. You know how to be accepting because again they don't know any of these things. So now they get that opportunity, and that's where the kid develops. So the nine kids, if you want me to, you want me to run run through briefly a little bit about each of them, or if I may, which of these nine types do you most resonate with? Oh, for me, it is the uh, need for affirmation and the uh, unnoticed child. Um, just to give you a quick little update, for me, um, when I was five, my dad died, a sudden heart attack. And my mother, I was one of four children. I was the third. And I had a younger brother who was about nine months. I was five. And I had two older sisters. They were about six and seven years older than me. Um, so when he died, my mother had a nervous breakdown. So we all got shipped out to relatives individually, not as you know siblings. And I get sent to these people. I don't know who these people are. Nobody told me about my father dying. Nobody tells me where my mom is. All I know mm. is that I need to go here with these people. And I'm there for about a year until my mom gets better. She comes back, brings us back. And then like about a month later, she had another breakdown. Because the thought of doing everything and trying to take care of it is so overwhelming for her. And now gets shipped out again to new relatives, to different relatives they send us to. So I don't know these people. And then finally, that lasted about three months. We come back. So now I'm gone for almost a year and a half, right? And I'm back here now with these people who I don't even know you folks. I don't know who you are. And where's my father? I don't know that. I know nothing. And nobody's talking to me. Um, and so what ultimately happened for me was the worldview that the people who love you will leave you. Hmm. The people who love you are not dependable. So therefore, that emotional, the, uh, the need for affirmation and attention. But now my mother has to go off to work. And she's working like two jobs. My two older sisters are watching me, but they're like, you know, they're older. They want to watch American Bandstand and, you know, all that kind of stuff. They don't want to be dealing with me. So I just like, go to your room, go to your room, go to your room. And you grow up alone. I didn't have my first friend till I was almost 10. And at that point, I didn't even know how to emotionally engage with kids. Um, so what happened was when I was about 16, I started dating dating one girl was not enough. Mm, I yeah. couldn't, it wasn't because I can't trust that girl. I can't need trust her. I need a backup. Where's the backup plan? So um, all my life, it was one foot in, one foot out, one foot in, one foot out, constantly moving on before anyone could ever leave me. And that happened, that went on until I was almost 38 years old. Until finally, I was like, you know what? I need to get help. And that's what I did when I sought help uh, to take care of that. And, you know, that's been over 20 years, almost 25 years ago. And I'm happy to say I've been married to my current wife now for 23 years. And I've been faithful the entire time. Shouldn't have to brag about those things, but yeah. it's part of the story of what happened. So anyway, those are the two kids that I resonate mm. with. It's so brilliant that we can externalize the inner child and, and talk about him instead of just me. Right. Because right. there is so much shame if I feel like it's all my fault, it's all my problem, and I am the one who is to blame for all of this wreckage in my life. Whereas mm -hmm. if I can say, little Drew is the one running the show. There you go. All of a sudden... I'm able to replace selfishness with self-compassion. And that trains me to be able to love other people like my wife, like my kids, while also still loving myself. Yes, right. And we have a very difficult time loving ourselves because of that shame that we have, because of the hurt and pain that we have caused so many other people. And we have to understand none of this is, these are not excuses for our behavior. Okay, we have to own the behavior. We had other options. Even if you just did it once 
And then you're like, oh my gosh, what happened? Why did I do this? To go and seek help, to be able to turn to other people. These are not. What they are is just rationales. How did we get to where we are? And for me, the whole aspect of the inner child process is to answer the why question. Mm -hmm. Why do I have sex as a cornerstone in my life? Why does it have such a stronghold on my life? And, you know, there's many times couples come in here because they usually come in the first time as couples. And, you know, the wife sitting there saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Why did you do this? Why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to us? And the answer from the guy is the same thing. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I've never had anyone sit there and say, well, you know what? I have this very strong need for affirmation that you really mm-hmm. couldn't give to me because of what happened with my parents. And they're about, they, nobody's going there. They have no idea. But the thing is, once we understand those rationales for what happened, we become empowered mm-hmm. because now it's like, I understand and I know why I act out. <gasps> I can fix that. <laughs> I can fix that now versus I'm well, no, I'm just a pervert. I just mm-hmm. go off and do things and I have no clue why I do it. Yeah. We can't change something unless we're aware of it. Yes. Right. You can't fix it unless you know it's broken. You know, I mean, it's like if, if, if uh, you, know, you send your car to a mechanic, you know, and you tell them your engine's knocking and he starts playing with the radiator uh, not going to get anything done, not going to get fixed, right? Well, that's what we're doing. We're playing around with the radiator, but we really need an engine overhaul. But yeah. we just don't know where to start. Yeah, and there are other approaches to freedom from porn, which are a lot more harsh, strict, controlling, um, not very sensitive to no. the inner child. Not very, and and to us also, I mean, you you land on a very good point and it's the idea that we don't need added pressure into our lives. We have enough already (laughs) as it is, right? And, And even from a Christianity standpoint, you know, there are certain Christian models along the line of, well, you know what? You just need to be praying more. You know what? Maybe your faith just isn't as strong as it needs to be. And what that does, you just put another layer of shame on someone. So now we're just compounding the problem that were originally there. Yes. Do we need to be in prayer? Yes. I mean, this is a battle we fight on our knees. Okay. That's part of what needs to be. We need, you know, to understand what God coming into our life and really having that emotional bond with him, what that can, the difference it can make in us. But we also can't ignore the chaos that lies underneath the surface. The fact of those repressed and suppressed, repressed memories and things that are there that we have to start to bring that out. We have to lance that wound, let the pus out. Actually, the way I look at it, if I go back to scripture where it says circumcise my heart, let me see the darkness within me and help me to remove that darkness that I have. And that's part of what this whole inner child process is, is about a transformation. I am not, this would never develop just to say, okay, we're no longer looking at porn. We're no longer running around prostitutes. We're no longer, it's not about just the behavior. It's about the transformation of the heart where you are now more outwardly focused. (laughs) Okay. You're more curious about the people around you. You know, you're more mindful about things. You don't hide and lie any longer. (laughs) Yeah. You know, all of those elements. I'm smiling from ear to ear Mm. because you're describing how paying attention to what's going on within me is so the opposite of selfishness. In fact, it's releasing me to pay attention to everything else in my life. Right. But what happens, Drew, is if you as a child, okay, no one's challenging you 
to be curious. No one's challenging you to explore your desires, your interests, or whatever. You're just like, you're like running underneath, you know, in the background. When it comes to being able to be outwardly focused, no, I need to be inwardly focused because if I don't care about myself, no one else will. Mm. No one else will. So therefore, it becomes a very defensive posture that we take. And, but with that, it becomes a very harmful posture, especially mm. to the people who you know, we profess to love. What I mean by that is by us being neglected as children, we turn inward the child has to turn inward okay. because he feels no one has protected him. Mm. Now, that stays with us, that worldview of, you know, the people who love you, you know, are not dependable. The people mm. who love you will reject you. The people who love you, you know, will abandon you, whatever it may be, depending on what your circumstances are. And with that pain that we have, we have to look, we have to stay within ourselves. I can't go looking out, how can I help everybody else? I need to be focused on me. And what that does is get you so wrapped up in your own head with what's going on in your life that you can't look outward to see what's going on in everyone else's life. Hmm. And therefore, now you be, you come across as selfish. I mean, how many wives tell me that? They sit there and say, he doesn't care. He only cares about himself. You know, he's only wrapped up in himself. And it's like, yes, you know what? You're absolutely right. That's exactly what he is. And I've never had yet, not one man I've mentioned and I've said, hey, you know what? One of the problems we have here is that you're emotionally immature. I've never had one of them who's ever fought me on that point. They've all said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I am. Didn't realize it, but that's what's going on here. So if we're neglected as kids, we turn inward. We feel like I can't afford to focus on God and other people. I just need to survive. I I don't know how to. I don't know how to focus on other people. Mm. I am just surviving. So what you're saying is no one's focusing on me. So I just don't even have an example of what that looks like. Correct. Okay. So I just focus on myself. Okay. I think that's what it's supposed to be, right? It's just focus on you mm. and we'll see how it goes. Or how it doesn't work out. Right, right. But see, that's when you become inwardly focused. Okay. So let's get into some of the reasons why we get this way. Okay. So let's look at, let's start looking at some of the kids first. Okay. And we look at first, like the first one, the bored child. Now, the bored child was raised in this environment that really offered very little in the way of positive interaction. Uh, They may have been surrounded by people in the family, but these were the folks who kind of who ate dinner on TV trays, watching television. Okay, they there wasn't a whole lot of interaction. It might have been how was your day? Good. That was it. So therefore, they had to grow up learning how to entertain themselves. And so they spent a lot of time in their own head, in a lot of fantasy. And I don't mean sexual fantasy. I'm just talking about fantasy of you know, being someone famous, being someone who has noticed all of that. Uh, but somewhere along the line, they stumble across sex. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is the mother of all stimulation. I cannot believe this. And so that now becomes their go-to. So now as an adult, whenever there's those quiet times or those times when they're feeling, you know, discomfort because I, I just don't know what to do and I'm fidgeting, boom, they go running to sex to try to um, fulfill that void. So boredom is a trigger. Boredom's a trigger. And it takes them back to those early years when there was nothing going on. Correct. That's right. The stimulation level was sometimes, in some cases, non-existent. Uh, Again, there's nobody challenging these kids. There's nobody helping them to explore their surroundings themselves. There's no one teaching them how to be emotionally engaged. 
So therefore, you know, it's like they're not living, they're existing. Mm. And with <laughs> that, they find something so highly charged in sex, mm. they just go for it. And that's what really happens with some of these folks now as adults. They're not really living, they're just simply existing. Yeah, and porn offers a cheap substitute for something thrilling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Feeling alive. Right. Correct. Feeling alive. That's a good way to put it. So, um, Another child is the unaffirmed child. Now, this is a kid who grew up with little in the way of receiving praise or may have received a lot of criticism. Um, so the result is a low level of self-worth with them. Um, what they're looking for, okay, their desire is to feel affirmed. So whenever anybody reprays upon them, they're they're like a moth to a flame, just <laughs> going there. Yeah. Um, and one thing that happens is that men with pornography, men will report the fact that they get a sense of affirmation, that they feel like when that woman's looking at the camera, looking that she's looking at me that, oh, she would desire me. These folks also sometimes practice their sexual techniques because they learn that, oh, you know what? If I'm really good sexually, oh, there's a lot of praise that comes at me. So therefore, and then it becomes, well, you know what? It's not good enough just to get praise from her or her. I want praise from more people. So therefore, they're going out there and being more promiscuous. So if I grew up with a lack of affirmation, with a lack of appreciation, I might think my problem is with porn, but it's really my need for praise. That's correct. That's exactly right. I can see how, for me personally, that resonates. And when someone builds me up and, and affirms me separate from performance, it's like oxygen. Um, and that's what porn does, right? It doesn't ask you to be good. It doesn't ask you to have skills or to accomplish anything. No, it doesn't. And, and that's why, and even more than oxygen, it's almost like heroin. Yeah. I mean, there's such a rush that you get from that and people become, they need it. So therefore, even if you have someone, a spouse, and this goes much to the unnoticed child too. Let's say you have a spouse who does give you affirmation. It's not enough because see that inner kid is worried that, you know what, what I'm getting, what we're getting isn't going to last. You know, she is not going to continue to give this to us. So therefore, oh, She's been like at work. That woman has really been praising us so much. Hmm. We got to be accepting that. We got to be exploring that more deeper. So once again, you could be getting affirmation in one source, but your child who he runs on fear. It's all about fear with him that whatever I'm getting, which I like, it's just not going to be there for the long haul. Makes a lot of sense. Should we go to the unnoticed child? Let's keep going. We got nine okay. to get through. Right. Um, the now, this is a kid who never felt like they belong. He didn't belong. Um, and by the way, I use he and him because I work exclusively with men. I know that women also deal with sex addiction, so I have people that forgive my pronoun. Um, but they were never chased. They're rarely ever sought out. Um, so what they want, what they desire more than anything else is to be noticed, to be to have somebody pay attention to them. Um, and again, their need for attention becomes fulfilled through things like pornography in a very similar way that the unaffirmed child is. Because it's almost, again, it's the pseudo fantasy that, yes, I could be accepted here. Yes, I could go into that role i could play that guy and those women would want to be around me yeah and it's the same one and these folks will be more heavy into doing things like chatting with people uh mm. by doing things such as um the video conferencing and even you know 
going through and you know hook up sites because what yeah. they want is to feel pursued yeah. more than anything else it's all about the hunt and many of them will tell you that the sexual aspect of it is not nearly as rewarding and satisfying as it is just the fact that someone wants you the chase the hunt the pursuit that's what they're after yes that's correct because what it's doing to them is saying, oh, I am no longer an outcast. Mm. I am now desired. But again, the similar to what the unaffirmed kid is, these two, two are kind of similar. This kid, he could have, a, he could have a, a wife who's showing him all kind of attention. But the kid's like, not going to last. Mm. She's going she's gonna, to she's gonna cut out on us sooner or later. Where's your backup plan? We're at the backup plan. Yeah. And sometimes the backup plan is nothing more than pornography. Yeah. At other times, depending on what that need is for that uh, level of attention, it can go far beyond that. This desire to be seen, known, wanted, pursued. When we talk about it this way, it seems like such a holy desire. Like, this is how God made us. It is. But unfortunately, nobody took that desire that we had and helped us to bring it out to the surface. Nobody showed us how to um, utilize it. But yes, that's what it is. That's why, and you look at what these people want and desire in all of this, all of them are attributes that fall within what the way God wanted us to be. These folks will also, because of the way they live in this pseudo fantasy world, if they were to go to an escort, the fantasy in their mind is that she is just into me. Mm. She so much desired me, yeah. even though they forget the fact that they've left money on the bedstand. Mm. The emotionally voided child. This is the number one kid. This is the kid that most people pick most. And by the way, just to let you know, when uh, clients go through the process, they will resonate with anywhere between three and six different kids. So okay. it's not like they just pick one. So while we're talking about these, all of us should be listening for which ones resonate, which ones are most similar to our experiences, and maybe multiple. Yes. I mean, if what, if what, if I tell people what stings the most, says, mm. ooh, ouch. Yeah, that one, that one, you know, cuts at me. And yes, there could be multiple. But see, as we'll get into, it's not so much the kids we pick. What's really important about this process is what are those core emotional triggers that activate the kid? Because I need to know what those triggers are. So therefore, if a trigger is I don't belong and I feel like a bunch of my buddies blew me off for something or my wife is too busy with, you know, her work project that she can't spend time with me. Oh, my kid is activated because he's going back into the storage unit that he have. He's pulling out something where he really did feel like I don't belong and he's trying to correlate it to now. And it doesn't match up. That's huge because we often talk about those messages of core triggers as lies. And they are lies if you look at it only in the present moment. If we go deeper, like you're teaching us to do, we'll see that those lies were actually true at one time. Yes, that's correct. At one point, they were true for us. But see, that's the problem that the kid still lives in the past. We're not living there anymore. So let me, I'll give you a quick example. Okay, let's, let's say you and a buddy, let's say you guys had a falling out. And one day you run across each other, you bump into each other on the street, and you just start chit-chatting. And then you said, hey, you know what? I think this fighting was stupid. Why don't we get together and try to work it out? Say, so, okay, we'll have lunch. So you make a lunch date, the day comes, about 20 minutes before you're about to head out, phone rings, it's your buddy. Hey, look, sorry, can't make it. Something came up. I'll get back to you and hangs up on you. You don't even get a chance to talk or say anything. You're like, man, that's 
kind of disappointing. All right. I mean, you're, you, you feel this level of discomfort within you. You might even think, wow, did he just blow me off? Does he not want to get back again? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Well, your kid is running into the storage unit and he pulls out this event when you were 11 years old and you went down the street to Bobby's house, your friend, to see if he can want to hang out with you. And you knock on Bobby's door, and he opens it, and you look in, and there's three of your buddies in there with him. And you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? He goes, oh, we're just hanging out. Like, oh, well, can I come in? No, nah, my mom said they can't have anybody else, and he slammed the door on your face. Mm. Now you remember walking home, and you feel humiliated, sad you got tears running down your eye might even be somewhat angry he that's what the kid is saying now and you may not even know that pain that the, that your inner child pulled out you may not know what's going on all you know is your discomfort level is increasing it's getting stronger and stronger and you're talking you're you're equating it to this phone call and then all of a sudden it's like you know what uh where's my phone and boom, 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 here we go. Because I want to alleviate that discomfort I have. But yeah. the thing is, the kid is looking at a pure rejection, okay? This is a kid being nasty at that time, which happened at times with us. But if you compare it to what just happened, okay, which, again, guy said, I can't make it. He does hang up on you. But we don't have enough information to say this is the same as what happened here. Yeah. You know what? Maybe he really was busy. Maybe he was in such a rush he had to run away. So I'm going to use wife mind to say, okay, well, you know what? Let me give him a couple days, see what happens. If he calls me back, if he doesn't, I'll call him. If he gives me some kind of excuse that he doesn't want to get together, then maybe I'll just say to him, look, well, obviously, I think you're probably having second thought. Look, that's okay. You know what? If ever you ever change your mind, you want to try to work it out, let me know. And then I go and I try to do something healthy. Okay, I make a healthy decision. But the kid, when he pulls something out of our storage unit, out of his storage unit, it usually doesn't really match up with what happened today. Yeah. All right. But he thinks it does. And that's why we have to be able to slow everything down. We have to be very mindful of those triggers. Because if I was mindful of a trigger, I'd be saying, oh, you know what? That feels like rejection. Rejection's on my list of triggers. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wonder if my <laughs> kid's going to start going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we think there's something wrong with us. Actually, something's right with us. Our brain is giving us a message about something that happened a long time ago. We just need to learn how to read it. Yes. And, and, and you know, Drew, a lot of this stuff is because we never resolved a lot of these emotional pain points. We never resolved mm. the fact of where the last one picked or we sat on the couch and we looked out the window and we see all the kids out there playing and nobody ever comes and knocks on our door. Or, you know, or the fact that I live in a home with, you know, four or five people and nobody communicates, nobody, you know, connecting together. So, well, with the emotionally buoyed child, this is, these are the kids who they receive that message that sharing your emotions is not a good thing, whether it was directly or indirectly, that they weren't important or that perhaps they were dangerous. So therefore, they just stop feeling. And what they do is they substitute physical intimacy for emotional intimacy. They think, I'm going to show you how much I love you by the way I touch you, by the way I make you feel sexually, the way I kiss you. That's how I'm going to show you how much I love you. And because they don't know what emotional intimacy is, over time, their partners start to feel used. You know, they're like, we're not having any in-depth conversations. You're not sharing your feelings. You're not being vulnerable. You just, whenever you come near me, you you just want to grab me sexually and you want to go do something. And you know what? I just feel like this is a very incomplete relationship. And it really is. And the thing is, that's not God's design for sex. And for a relationship, our God's design is we're built, our relationships are built on emotional intimacy. 
and we use physical intimacy, we sprinkle it in to reinforce that emotional wow. intimacy. Yeah. I mean, you know, think about it. What does scripture say? Scripture tells us, you know what? Do not become physically involved until after marriage. There's a good reason for that, because once you start to become physically involved with someone, the emotional bonding stops. All the focus becomes on the physical aspect of it. And therefore, that connecting never gets fully engaged, which means that now it is me, my partner, and God together Instead, we're here clinging, and look how easy it can just break apart. This is blowing my mind. And it's like you're describing that picture on the cover of the book so perfectly with two adults with their backs to each other, and the children are reaching out. Yeah, right. This this concept blows a lot of people's minds. In a good way, because it really, it gets people to start. Remember what we said before, we said these are folks who they don't really pursue things. They're very much in their own heads. They just go about their routines. Well, what's happening now is they're being challenged, sometimes for the first time, to gain insight about themselves. Why do I think feel and do what I do. And I'm telling you, some guys, when they get caught up in this thing, they become giddy. They can't wait to get back in here to share with me all the information. And I tell them, I tell my clients, if you want, you can send me email, send me text. If you get a, a breakthrough, I want to hear it. And uh, my phone blows up, my email blows up all week long, which is great. I just love knowing what they're going through yeah. because again, for the first time, they're they're feeling alive versus that we went back to before. Remember we said it was more like existing rather wow. than living. Yes. And now that they have permission to access those emotions, to get to know them, the whole range of human experience is expanded. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But see, you got to be kind of cautious with that because sometimes they don't know how to handle that whole array mm-hmm. of emotion. So we got to be kind of slow if we're, as we are introducing it to yeah. them that they don't become flooded by all of it. And then therefore want to, again, escape. They're being taught how to sit and hold on to emotional discomfort mm. and realizing yeah. it's not going to kill them. Yes. I can sit with this. It'll be okay. And that's yeah. what they're trying to tell their kid. You know what? It's okay that you're hurting. But you know what? I got this. For the first time, there's somebody here who's going to take care of you. Mm. I can take care of it. Give it to me and I will do it. Yeah. Our next kid is the need for control kid. These are folks who grew up in very chaotic and hectic environment. And therefore, you know, they seek control now as adults. Why? Because they developed this worldview that if I do not, if I don't have control, bad things will happen. Because back then, they had no control. And therefore, everything was out of control, and they were the ones who suffered the consequences. So now they have this, this magical thinking that kids have, oh, if I, if I have it all buttoned up, nothing bad can happen which of course is not true. So what do they do? Well, if their event happens, which there will be, in which they don't have any control, they run to sex as a distraction. It's an outlet to them because I can't deal with the anxiety of knowing there's a situation that I can do nothing about. This is when we hear about the guys who, you know, one of their, and I have one um, client who, ten-year-old uh, daughter was diagnosed with cancer, and she was in the hospital, mm. and she's getting all the various treatment that she needed. And a good, good ending to the story. She's seventeen, cancer-free, wonderful, but she's in the hospital. Her mother's staying there with her. I mean, you're there for months, and he's out doing all these hookups. 
And why is he doing that? Because the stress of knowing his child is so sick. He can't deal with it. He can't. It's just overwhelming for him. And he needs to run and do something. Now, I know a lot of people are going to hear that and say, you know what? That's a bunch of BS. Like, you know, I'm not saying you're right. I'm not saying what he did was right at all. What he did was completely wrong. And he needed, again, to go figure out why do I, why can I not confront that? Because he can't sit with emotional pain. And I'm not going to go through the whole story of why that was, but there's some very good reasons of what happened there. And it sounds like a guy in that position might be especially drawn to forms of porn or sexually acting out where he's in power and he's in control. Yes, absolutely. You're right about that, too. So um, the next kid is the entitled child. Now, you know, it's weird. I I probably should have given this kid a different name uh, because people look at this and they say, oh, what's he even titled to everything? No, that's not what it is. Uh, See, they felt very devalued as kids. Uh, They felt they didn't have a voice, that, that what they needed, what they desire didn't matter so as they get older what they do is they use sex as a reward so therefore you know the wife gives them a bunch of grief about something and they're like fine and they go storm off well you know what the heck with her blah 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 and i'm just gonna go do something the worldview is i deserve this Hmm. now I should have probably called them the yeah. spiteful child. <laughs> yeah. I think that think that would have been a more uh, apropos name yeah. for him than the entitled child, the spoiled one. And when I do 2.0 for the book, I'm going to change that up to that. Uh, but again, it is when things in his life don't go his way because he feels that it's not fair. And that's what he feels a lot. He, this is a kid who may have uh, suffered a lot of what he calls um, injustice, mm-hmm. uh, unfairly accused of things. So therefore, it's not fair, and I need an outlet so that I feel better. Maybe often a younger child whose older siblings would be taking advantage of him? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, he broke it. And, and, you know, he just can't com- can't uh, defend himself. So, yes, many right. times. The one who always gets picked on, you know, things like that. That's where you'll find it. So, uh, yeah, but he's going to undergo a new name change if we move forward. Um, got three more left. Let's the, do it. Um, the inferior weak child. This is the kid who felt that, you know what, I don't match up to my peers. Okay. Other boys are different than me. They're stronger than me. They're more masculine than me. Um, They were made to feel very weak, uh, whether it be by parents, siblings, or their peers. Um, So therefore, they use sex as a way to either, one, uh, feel empowered or to reinforce their sense of weakness. So therefore, the worldview is for them that I deserve to be used or I must use others for that. Um, these, are, these are kids who, you know, as they're growing up, you know, you have a dad who always comparing this kid to his other siblings and saying, look at them, look what great athletes they are. And look at you. You're such a nerd. You know, you and it's those kind of things where parents who sit there call them sissy and this and that, and they just grow up to feel very weak and feel like I don't measure up. That's yeah. one of their major core emotional triggers. I don't measure up. And it goes along with something I heard recently, which is that when a parent criticizes a child, the child doesn't like the parent less, they like themselves less. And this core belief, I deserve to be used sounds really important to me mm-hmm. very deep-seated right. yes and it, it would make sense why if i'm in that situation i might pursue pornography that was very degrading or um, be aroused by situations where i'm being used or i'm being mistreated right or i'm being dominant mm-hmm. okay because you can go to the other end too i'm trying yeah. to overcome that 
in that aspect too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you go back to before again, children egocentric. So therefore, if a parent is criticizing and almost demeaning them, they're not going to look outward and say, "What's wrong with you, mom? What's wrong <laughs> yeah. with you, dad?" Yeah. They're going to say, "Oh, there must be something wrong with me." And this is these become the lies that they believe, and that's that internal critic that plays in the back of your head that just won't go away unless it's confronted. And when you, how do you confront it? Well, you know what? You put it to God's truth. I mean, how does God see you? And and these folks, you know, these folks are going to tell you they're going to see. Oh, he sees me as I'm. Uh, I'm. There's something. I'm defective. You know, I don't measure up. That's what they're going to tell you. But then, because what they're doing, they're projecting what they feel about themselves onto God. And then once you get in, you start going through the scripture. You say, no, whoa, 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 wait, wait, stop. You, you are just running on emotions right now. Okay? That's all that is. We need to go to wise mind. So let's look through scripture. And let's see, what does this tell us? How does God see us? The fact that, you know what, he sends our, his son to die for you. Why? Because he wants you to one day walk side by side with him. You know, you tell some of these people that and they're like, I, can, I, I just can't believe that. I don't believe it. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. You know, let's you know, get deeper into it. And then when they finally do start to see that and they're like, oh, my gosh, I am unique. I am special. I, I, those things that I thought about myself, they really, they're falsehood. They're not real. Wow. And that's when you start to see that transformation. And at that point, porn becomes unnecessary. Yeah. I don't need it. Why do I need it? It's not, it's, there's no purpose to serve. Before you used to serve a purpose. It was going to reinforce my sense of weakness or the fact that I yeah. needed to feel strong. Yeah. And that core belief that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, is replaced by a new belief. Porn is not worthy of me. That's correct. Right. And I am the prince of a king. Amen. That's my label. Yeah. You know, that, goes, that goes back to my first book that I wrote, Removing Your Shame Label. It mm -hmm. is the label that we should wear mm. is the label that I am the prince or princess of a king. No other label defines us. Yeah. It's a label uh, of honor. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, it's hard to, you know, for folks to appreciate that when they don't feel it themselves they don't yeah. feel that way about themselves they don't feel good enough for anyone to honor them and that's why we have to go in circumcise the heart look at what's there clean it up and then say hey you know what what you feel versus what is real are two different things and they usually don't match up at all. Yeah. Let's look at reality through God's lens and look at past reality as well, because those feelings are, were real at one time. Yeah, they were, but they weren't your fault. Yeah. You have to think, you know what, just the fact, the fact that somebody tells you, you know, that you're, that you don't matter. It wasn't true. It was someone else's own dysfunction. Isn't it amazing how those little comments stick with us for so many years? Yes, it is. It is amazing because, again, if you take them to heart and then you have some circumstances that play out in your life that may reinforce them in some way, or at least you think they reinforce it, mm -hmm. okay? They may not at all, yeah. but you think it does. Like the guy hanging up on you that, oh, see, there you go, rejection again. That may not be the case at all. But we stay in that similar mindset, and therefore then, again, it starts to get bigger. The, the, critic, the critic voice becomes louder, and sometimes you get to the point that it's so overpowering, you want to turn it off. And the only thing that will turn it off is some sort of sexual gratification. Want to go through the two more kids? Okay. So the, the next one, distressed child. This, this is a kid who grew up in a very anxious environment. Um, 
may have been an environment with a lot of uh, neglect, with abuse, trauma. Uh, but what happens is over time, a kid can't stay in that state of anxiousness. They got to find an escape to do it. So what happens is their, their level of, of anxiety desensitizes. They are not feeling it as much. They are re- suppressing it. And I, you know, I tell my clients, I go, you know, because many times they'll come in, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, wow, you seem, you know, anxious. And no, I have no anxiousness. And I start pointing things out to them. And then as we go through this, then, you know, like months later, like I never realized how anxious I was. <laughs> but I was yeah. like, you know what? It's like if somebody would jump into your body, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with this dude? How did he feel like this? Yeah. But yet they present in such a calm fashion. They're not. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, they'll go from zero to 60 in a moment, right? Or they'll be passive aggressive. They'll be passive aggressive. They'll do something to get that out of there. Um, It's often kind of like a low-level background noise that's always there. And sometimes the volume gets turned up. But even even on a normal day when nothing's going on, there's still a little bit of fidgeting. And I'm talking about myself right now. Yes. Uh, it, but you're 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 right. That's exactly what it is, and so therefore, what they discovered is that sex calms that down. Which they're right; it does yeah. because that's part of what sex does. It releases the various the neurochemicals in our brain that does produce this sense of relaxation. But again, that was not God's design for sex. He did not create sex to say, "Oh, let's reduce use it to be a stress buster." That's not what it was supposed to be. It was just one of the benefits of the aftermath of having a sexual encounter. So therefore, but they'll use sex to distract themselves from any chaos that they may feel in their everyday life. And then lust becomes my lullaby. Right. I like that. That's good. (laughs) Porn is a pacifier and lust is a lullaby. (laughs) Well, our last kid is a sad kid. This is uh, the early sexually stimulated or the sexually abused child, um, you know, and they, they pretty much identify for themselves. But what happens is in stumbling across sex, whether it was their early stimulation or they were molested, um, they have a lot of distortions about sexuality. Um, sex can be a commodity. Sex can be just an a physical act. There's no emotion engaged in it. Therefore, I could just give my body to whoever, whenever. Um, porn is the idea of re-traumatizing sometimes what I've done in the past, often feeling dirty, whether sex is dirty or I'm dirty. Sex is bad. I'm bad. Um I was talking to a client a couple weeks ago, and he was saying how um, he got the stigma that sex was bad, and he got married, and when he got married, he he just did not engage sexually with his wife, but yet he was using porn and masturbation almost every day, you know, because the, the, the idea of coming together with a person like no no you can't that would that would draw up all these harmful memories of the mm-hmm. molestation that went on so let me do it in another way and the problem though is that with his wife saying what's wrong what's wrong all the guilt and all the shame which now kept running him back to the pornography and the masturbation to forget about that for a while so it just becomes this very very um difficult cycle that they go through so this kid is feeling unsafe yes all all these kids feel unsafe Mm. they all all of them i mean that that's what you're trying to do when we say hey i got this you're making them feel safe yeah because no one was there to make them feel safe before so amazing to hear about how they grew up and were able to become such a powerful part of your story and how over the last 25 years. Yeah. It's, it's been a ride, been a real ride with them. And, um, 
I'm just so glad that I've had the opportunity that God gave me the chance to do something like this. Because I haven't always been a counselor. I was in corporate America for 25 years. And all during that time, for the most of it, I was acting out. Um, but when I finally you know, came to Christ and I was like, oh, okay, so this is what it's like to have that kind of relationship with him. And, you know, now I, I got a good relationship with a woman who I love and I can just, you know, go on my merry way. It's like, no, no, I got something else for you, man. Like what? And he goes, I want you to be a Christian counselor. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I fought him for two years. I mean, my wife, she, she had a ringside seat. She loved watching it. She thought it was hilarious because uh, she knew who was yeah. going to win out anyway. <laughs> uh, but, you know, finally, but brought me to this ministry that now for the past 10 years, having to go back to school, get another master's degree, get a, you know, PhD, do all of that stuff. And, you know, to bring me to this ministry where then it's like, Oh, because I wasn't even going to do it with sexual addiction. I was going to be a generalist. But then after a short period of time, all these guys start walking into my office that, oh, my gosh, they look like me. And I was like, oh, now I know what I'm here for. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm here. I'm here to transform, transform lives, help to save relationship by serving as a vessel for him who works through me that he can work through them. Amen. I am, I am very blessed. I am humbled and I am honored by all of it. Thank you so much for being with us today and introducing us to some of these kids who we need to spend some time with. Well, thank you, Drew. I appreciate appreciate you allowing the kids to come into your life and uh, into the life of your uh, audience out there. I hope, it, I hope they make a difference to everybody. Absolutely. I love them. I love little Drew and in your book, you talk about how no matter how much little Eddie can be a handful, you say he is indeed my friend. Yes. He is my friend. That's awesome. Eddie, how can people get a hold of you or your new book? Um, they can go, they go to www.innerchild- sexaddiction.com. Again, innerchild-sexaddiction.com. You will find the um, a link to the book that will take you, I think, to Amazon. But you can really buy the book on any online book retailer that's out there. Um, also on that website, you're going to find a lot about the inner child. Um, I also have an online 12-week program that's around this for those people who perhaps can't afford counseling or live in an area where there are no counselors to do this kind of work. So therefore they could do that. It's 12 weeks. They're about an hour and 15 minutes each. Uh, go very in depth in the whole process of how to deal it. And then um, they can reach me at uh, edkappa at gmail.com. But if I may say this, because I have to say this, um, I am not taking new clients at this moment. Whenever I do something like this, my phone blows up with people across the world who are trying to come in, and I wish I could help. I can't. However, if they do want to reach out to me, I will try to see if I can find a referral for them. We're going to actually do a whole clinician training program starting in November um, to teach people who, who are certified in sexual addiction or coaching to how to implement this inner child process. So hopefully we'll have an army of clinicians that will be out yeah. there, you know, sometime beginning in next year. Eddie, I'm really excited too, because you've agreed to do a Facebook live Q&A for our group. So we will have the details for that and all these great opportunities in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, I, I can't wait to do that, Drew. I, I love being out there and answering people's questions and, and just getting feedback from them of how they're doing and watching a lot of the successes that they have. So thanks for asking me. You're welcome. It's going to be great. So bring your questions about the kid, about the inner child, and we'll go deeper. Thank you so much, Eddie. What Thank is you. your favorite thing? What is your favorite thing about freedom from porn? 
Oh, freedom from porn. Oh my gosh. It's just the fact that there's no more secrets. There's no more secrets. It's, it is a sense of peace that comes with it. Um, and also understanding that, you know what? There are so many other people because of my freedom there are so many other people who can be helped and have that same feeling one day. I love that feeling. It's the opposite of the fear we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Having the peace that passes all understanding. This has been awesome. No, you're going to say blessing, my brother. Thank you. For everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son, and in you, he's well-pleased. 